You are listening to the Holmes Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Holmes Avenue or how you can join the mission, visit us online at holmesavenue.com. We are jumping into the book of Psalms, chapter 34, this morning. I see pretty much everybody has been here with us, journeying through it. If you're with us online or here and you haven't been with us for a little while or picking up where we are, we've been in the book of Psalms now uh, since the summer began, and we'll be in the book of Psalms through Labor Day weekend. And as we're looking through this, we're, we're seeing the reality of the human experience in this life. The, the times of joy, the times of lament, the times of praise, the, the times of pain, and all of those things. And we see these writers, and, and most of the writers that we've seen thus far have been David. And we see where there's these moments of, of great excitement, and then there's moments of praise, and then there's moments of lamenting and crying out to God and saying, God, where are you? What are you doing? And we come to this psalm today, and we see, as I've entitled it, Bless the Lord, uh, that song goes perfectly that we just sang because it, it, it totally takes and gives us a true picture of this passage. As Debbie said, the, the words of the song, it, it preaches to us. I mean, it's an incredible song. And this psalm that has been written by David, it says there in your Bibles, it says, of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and went away. So this is picking up right at that place from the Old Testament scriptures. This is a moment where, and I love how the book of Psalms does this, the Lord through the Holy Spirit has these things through the book of Psalms to where there's something that's going on in their life. And David, for example, writes about it there in that moment. And we have it recorded for us in the book of Psalms. And so we see this passage today, and we're seeing how David is calling upon the people to join him in worship. And he gives this description of a follower and what a follower of, of the Lord is to do and how they're to live their life and how they're to fear the Lord. And it got me to thinking, has your life been impacted by someone who was devoted to loving Jesus and continually pointing to him? We can all probably sit, I see the heads nodding. We can all probably name people in our lives. And, and if you're like me, you probably have had many. I mean, there are those of you that are in here that have known me for, for a long time and you have poured into my life. My parents are in here. They have poured into me and pointed me to Jesus. And as I've been thinking through that and thinking of that with this passage, one person in particular came to my mind. And this person came to my mind, especially this week, it, it was my granny. And my granny, as many of you have heard probably my testimony, my granny is the one who led me to Jesus. And on this past Friday, it was the eight-year anniversary of, of my granny's passing into heaven. And I've been thinking about my granny all week and thinking about her this weekend. And I reflect on the, the godly woman that she, that she was while she was here. And the impact that she left on my life and the life of many others. And I reflect on her and I think about this passage and the things that are described in the fear of the Lord. And as I think about her, all I can think about is, wow, that is, that is my granny. And it just left this, this deep impact on my life. And I got to thinking, like, is that... Is that the same that's true for us? Like, have there been people in our lives that that has happened to us? Are we that person for somebody else? Pointing them to Jesus, 
through highs, through lows, no matter what may come. We're going to see, as I said, David gives this description of how those who follow the Lord should live, blessing the Lord because he is good. And for the sake of time and the length of the passage, I'll just dive in as we go about. I'm going to pray for us. But one thing I also want to mention, you'll hear me pray for it. You might see that Walter's not here this morning. Walter is over at Cooper River Baptist preaching for Pastor Brett this morning. Pastor Brett's taken a couple weeks off to be with family and go see his parents up in uh, the Michigan area, I believe is where they went. Uh, So be praying for that, for them. But we're going to pray for Walter as well as he's already in the pulpit there. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, we come before you so grateful for who you are. Lord, we pray now, Lord, as we study your word, God, that we would hear from you everything that you would have for us to hear. Lord, that we would take these truths and that we would apply them to our lives and live them in a way that points everyone to you. Lord, I pray over our brother, Pastor Walter, Lord, and I pray Lord, that you would use him now as he's probably coming to the tail end of his sermon. Or, um, Lord, I just pray that it has been an impactful day for him and his preaching today, Lord, for the people at Cooper River. I pray for Brett and his family as they've had this time away. Lord, that it would be a great time for them to restore them, just to enjoy life as this uh, new child for them is on the way very soon. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So for this passage, we see that, the, that we are to bless the Lord for his goodness as he answers his people who he cares for and he desires his people to fear him reverently. If you're taking notes, I hope you are. The first point is this, bless the Lord for his goodness. Bless the Lord for his goodness. Verse one says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Here, David opens this psalm, and in opening it, he declares that he will bless the Lord, that he will speak of the Lord, speak good of the Lord at all times. Now, we've seen this in other places of Scripture, especially uh, when the Apostle Paul, for example, in his writings, he, he declares that we are to continually be praising the Lord. Here in this passage, he gives this image of praise to the Lord continually being in his mouth. You see, here David's description is one that I believe we need to pay close attention to. As Christians who are redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we should be so enamored, so in awe and grateful and thankful for God's love, grace, his mercy towards us, that we are always wanting to give him praise. We're wanting to tell the world about him and what he has done. Verse 2 says, My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. David's hope is that in his boasting in the Lord and his goodness, all the humble, it will be allowed for all the humble to hear it and to be glad. Now we read that and we say, well, who are the humble? Well, that's us. We are the humble that have been shown the mere mercy of God. We are the ones who have been shown that and have been the recipients of what he has done. We're the faithful. This is an invitation for us to join together and praise. Well, how do we know this? Look at verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. 
Let's exalt his name together. David wants those to come alongside of him and magnify the Lord. What does it mean to magnify? It means to tell the Lord just how great he is. Does he know? Well, yeah, of course he knows. But as his people who have been redeemed by him, he calls us to magnify him. After Gabriel has come to her and he tells her, hey, you're going to have the Messiah. You're going to have Jesus. And she's like, well, wait, how? I'm a virgin. How can that even be the case? And the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, Mary. This is going to happen. Well, when Mary hears that, the scriptures say that she goes with haste, goes quickly to her cousin Elizabeth, who's already pregnant with John the Baptist. And in that moment, the baby leaps in her womb. And as she tells the news to Elizabeth, the scriptures go immediately into this beautiful song that is written for us that says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Why was she so excited and wanting to declare there before Elizabeth to the Lord, my soul magnifies the Lord. Well, as Gabriel told her, he says, Mary, O favored one, letting her know God has seen favor on you for this to come to be. You're going to be the mother of the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. Me? Which just brings her to this humble response of magnifying the Lord. David also declares that there needs to be exaltation of the Lord's name. Notice he states that this is to be done together. What is exalting? It is lifting high the name of the Lord. David's describing in verse three, verses one through three, how the humble, the body of Christ together, bless, magnify, and exalt the Lord. Now, are we to do this on our own? Yes, absolutely. We are to do this on our own. But as I previously mentioned, make no mistake about it, this is why we gather. This is why we come together. We come together not just because we have to. We don't come together, set aside our time on Sunday mornings just to come together and say, oh, well, I got to go to church. We have to do this. No, we gather because we long to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ, coming together at this appointed time to give praise unto the Lord. I pray that's our desire. I pray that's our longing, our looking ahead to Sunday each week and say, oh man, I get to be with the body on Sunday. Because at that appointed time, when these words are being sang from this platform and we are hearing it and we are responding back, that is the one appointed time for Holmes Avenue Baptist Church, this local body of believers, to gather together in one accord and give praise unto God who is worthy. What's the other benefit of us coming together? Well, we're able to come together to encourage one another. There's just something about being together with the body of Christ. It helps us despite what we may be going through or what we may see coming or the trials, whatever it may be, when brothers and sisters in Christ can gather around you and lift you up in prayer and encourage you and let you know, hey, this is hard right now, but God is sovereign. God is moving. God is working. God is with you. Be encouraged. Man, that helps. Let us join together in blessing the Lord because he's good 
but also because he hears our cry, which leads to number two. Bless the Lord for answering his people. Bless the Lord for answering his people. Verse four, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. What a beautiful verse, right? David is declaring the Lord delivered him from his fears once he sought him. We're going to see specific instances in these verses and in other places of Scripture of how the Lord does so. But don't miss the beautiful truth of this section. God answers his people. That word sought, we read that and we have to remember that it shows dependence. It shows dependence towards God to assist. Like a newborn child, right? Newborn baby. They seek their parent. They, they want their parent because they know that their parent can provide the need that they have. They can't speak. They can cry. But they, they want that so badly. They, they are seeking out the one that provides the nurture and the care. Much like us, we as his children depend on him desperately at times because we know that he cares for us. We know that he answers our cries. Verse five, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Looking here shows the need to direct one's eyes of our faith to God. It says there that we are radiant, giving the image of our faces beaming with light. Notice he states that our faces will not be ashamed. Let me ask you, we've all seen it, right? We've all seen it when maybe somebody's been ashamed of something and maybe they hear about something, the countenance on their face just changes, right? It's not beaming with excitement. It's, it's a frown. It's the eyebrows. It's, it's everything. The, the whole countenance changes. But for followers of Jesus who are walking in the fear of the Lord, they want to bless him. They want to proclaim the goodness of his name to a lost and dying world. When people see a follower of Jesus that is described that way, they should look and say, man, why are you so excited? The world could be crumbling in your own life and people are like, what is going on? Why do you have so much joy? It's because we're radiant. Trust the Lord. Verse 6, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. See, David looks at his state. He looks at himself as a poor man, yet God heard him despite how he looked upon himself. And he's continuing to declare how the Lord saved him. We get to verse 7, and the scriptures tell us, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. There's an important reality that we need to understand from this verse. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear the Lord. He is with us. And in his being with us, he delivers us. Now, does this verse that we read, does it guarantee that there's going to be no hardships, no trials if we follow the Lord? No. 
There are things that seem to, we could describe it maybe as, well, if that's true, it's, it's getting by the angel of the Lord because this is affecting me. The scriptures do not teach us that there are not sufferings and hardship in this life. When we get to James 1, when James is talking there, he says in there, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you face many trials. But the beauty of this verse that is a promise to us is that the angel of the Lord encamps around us. He doesn't just leave us and say, hey, I don't have time for you. I got to go. I need to go over here to this situation. No, the Lord is with us always. You might say, well, what about though when those trials do come and it appears that maybe something has happened and it slipped through the cracks? This is where we have to take our understanding of the sovereignty of God and hold it high. Because if God is sovereign as we say God is sovereign, if we believe what we say, then we understand that God sits on the throne and nothing gets by him. We have to understand that when we go through something and we say, why is this happening? Oh, God must have forgot about me. No, 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 no. God is not surprised by anything that we go through. He sits sovereignly over the world. So are you telling me, Pastor Brian, that God sometimes maybe allows something to take place so God has caused this suffering? No, 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 no. God does not cause your suffering. But there are times where things are allowed for the purpose of us to draw near to the Lord. There are times when things are allowed so that the Lord's will may be accomplished. If our perspective on God is he is truly sovereign, then when we look at passages that say all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose, that doesn't tell us that everything's going to be hunky-dory. That tells us that God is with us, he is sovereign, and all things are working together for the good because they're all according to his will. What does Jesus say when he gives the model prayer? Referred to as the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6? Father, your will be done. That should be our desire. So if the Lord is good and he answers his people, then we should bless the Lord with reverent fear. Bless the Lord with reverent fear. That's number three. Bless the Lord with reverent fear. Look at verse eight. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. David continues with more praise to the Lord. He gives this declaration that the humble should taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. The Old Testament uses the word taste in this literal sense. Like you're actually eating something. But when we get to the New Testament, it is more referred to metaphorically. So when he's seeing this here, David is using it more in that metaphorical sense, even though it's an Old Testament passage. He says to trust the Lord. He is good. Take it, taste it, see it, experience it. And he says there that all who take refuge, all who take shelter in him are blessed. Verse 9 tells us, 
Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. We see this command to fear the Lord as his saints. All those who are his saints, the holy ones who have been redeemed, take refuge and fear him. Remember, we talked about this before. The fear of the Lord is to walk in this fearful, honoring reverence of the Lord. We are to pursue him with holiness and honor. He's the creator of all things. He, as I said, sits sovereignly over the world and we put our faith and trust in him. Therefore, we must give him the honor that he's due. We do this with leaders. We do this with the people that are maybe our bosses. We, we, we honor them as they should be honored, even when maybe sometimes they don't do things that we agree with or whatever. Not my boss, I love my boss, amen? We, we have these people that we are to hold in this honor and, and all of these type of things. If we do that for earthly leaders and people, better believe we ought to do it for the Lord. Walk in this honoring, glorifying state of being before him. Remember, he's the creator of all things. Those who fear him have no lack, as the second part of nine said. Those who fear him have no lack. He is always providing for us. Why, though, does he continually do that for us? I don't know if you're like me, but on my best day, I'm still not that great. We all have our sin. We all have these hiccups in life. We look at that and we say, Lord, why would you continually do that for me? And we have to remember to look at the cross. We have to look at the cross of Jesus and remember that he willingly took his place on that cross for us. And that beautiful, precious blood of Jesus was poured out in our place. Verse 10 reads, The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. This is a great verse for us to consider. What does he mean when he says that about the young lions who want and hunger? See, young lions, they're, they're the top of the food chain in that regard. They're, they're very vulnerable. But he says there that those who seek the Lord, desiring his will to be done in their lives, walking in obedience, they lack no good thing because he continually provides. It ties in right there with the end of verse 9. And when we get to verses 11 through 14, it's still under the same point of this reverent fear of the Lord. But these verses show us how our behavior is properly lived out in the fear of the Lord. You see, David wants the readers and listeners to listen to him so that he can teach them. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit of God today teaches us through the word. So read verse 11 with me. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear 
of the Lord. Let's go to verse 12. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Is it necessarily wrong to desire long days? No, there's not. Like, if you want to live a long life and you desire that, there's nothing wrong with that. However, we must make sure that we aren't desiring to live long lives of pleasure, enjoyment that is contrary to holy living. If we're desiring to live long lives for those reasons, we're living a life of a sinful desire that is unholy and we need to repent. Verse 13 tells us, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Now I read that verse and immediately, I mentioned to you James earlier, my mind immediately goes to James. Because in the book of James, this will be on the screen for you, James chapter 3 Verses two through six. This is talking about the tongue. If we put bits into the mouths of horses, horses, so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. What is James telling us there? This little small thing that's in our mouth, it can be very, very harmful. The tongue is dangerous. We've all been on the receiving end of someone's hurtful words, right? We can all probably think of those accounts. We've been on the receiving end of hurtful words. We know the pain that it can cause. But when we go back here to 13, and we're seeing what David is saying, as God's people who fear the Lord, we're to keep our tongue from evil. Now, I'm not going to pull the room, but just take a moment and reflect on this last week. Reflect on this last week, or hey, reflect on maybe this morning before you got here, right? Have you kept your tongue from evil? Have we kept our lips from speaking deceit? I think if we're being honest, we probably all have dropped the ball at some point this week. Thank God for the Lord's grace and mercy, right? Thank God that we can repent, that we're covered by the blood of Jesus, doesn't mean that it's right. David's telling us to keep from evil. Verse 14 tells us, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. God's people who walk in the fear of the Lord want to flee evil and do good. We want to see peace with others and continually pursue it. What is this? This is a call to holiness. This is a call to holiness. You may remember a little over a year ago as we were going through the book of Leviticus, that, that whole overarching theme was the name of the series, Holy God, Holy People. God is holy, and therefore he calls his people to be holy, to live holy lives in the pursuit of holiness. You know, and then I think about the, the way of the tongue. 
And then I think about the way in which we have this idea of reverent fear. And I get two examples out of one account. It's from Jesus. Jesus is submitting to the will of the Father, doing everything that God has called him to do, that he sent him to earth to do. Jesus being fully God, fully man, the purpose is to go to the cross and take all of the ill things that are said about him as the people cry, crucify him, as he's whipped, he's beaten, he's flogged, and he's nailed to the cross where the wrath of God is poured out on him. All of that's taking place, and the tongue is being used continually through it. Yet Jesus, submitting to the will of the Father, doesn't once, doesn't once use his tongue in any negative way against the people that are standing there saying, crucify him. Matter of fact, Jesus uses his tongue as he's nailed to the cross looking out at the people who are killing him to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. See, we're to bless the Lord with this reverent fear, and lastly, bless the Lord who cares for those who trust Him. Bless the Lord who cares for those who trust Him. 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, the ears toward their cry. The Lord is continually looking after His people. That's the imagery there of the eyes. Much like we saw two weeks ago in Psalm 27, He hears the cry of the people. Now picture that with me. The Lord's eyes and ears are towards us. There's an intentionality there. Much like a parent will keep a close eye and listen out for their child, the Lord watches out for his children. He's got his eye toward us. He never leaves us. He's always got his ear towards us. He wants to hear from us. He's continually paying attention to us. Verse 16, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Now, your translations that you may be using, if you're not using the ESV like we have in the pews or on the screen, your translation may say wicked. Here it says who do evil. This points to the ones that do not trust the Lord. The Lord is clear that he is against those who do evil and are not his people. He removes them. That may sound harsh, but the reality is that it is just. Because God is just. It's because of sin. None of us deserve anything from God except eternal punishment. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love he had for us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 17 tells us, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. When the Lord's people cry, the imagery there of the turned ear is realized. He hears his people and he delivers them from their troubles. Now again, let me tie back into earlier. It doesn't mean that the Lord just comes in like a genie in a bottle 
and we get a wish. It doesn't mean that we just just run off and, and, and that's it. Like The Lord is constantly there. He wants to hear us. He wants us to respond to Him. All things happen with God in His sovereign control. This doesn't mean that all things are going to be peachy. Instead, when we face suffering, we can rejoice because the Lord hears and He's always there to comfort us through. 18 tells us the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. You know, I bet if I took a poll again of the room and I asked you, in times where you were brokenhearted, in times where you felt like your spirit was just crushed, could you sense the Lord there with you? And for many of us who are followers of Jesus, we would say yes. In our grieving times, in our pain, in the suffering that we're facing, the Lord promises that He is near. He's never going to abandon us. He desires to be with us. He desires to comfort us. 19 and 20, we'll read together. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Although all who are in Christ, we may have afflictions, the Lord delivers us from each And he preserves our lives until we get home. 21. Affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. For those who are lost, they do not see the same fate. Those who hate Christians, those who persecute, they will be condemned. They will be separated for eternity God. And lastly, in verse 22, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. What a joyous verse to conclude this psalm. For those in Christ who have repented of their sin and confessed Jesus as Lord, our lives are not condemned. They have been redeemed. You and I will never be condemned. We have the hope that is living for today and tomorrow and every single day until we get home. When we get home, we will be with the Lord forever in His presence. When the new heavens and the new earth are established The pain and sufferings of this world, they are not going to be around any longer. Depression is gone. Death is gone. Cancer is gone. We will be with the Lord forever. I don't know about you, but that makes me want to bless the Lord, right? I can't help but ask this question. Has your life truly been redeemed? 
Have you placed your trust in Jesus? If not, today may be that day. If you're listening online and that is the case for you, you can go to the link on the screen, holmesavenue.com forward slash contact. You can reach out to us. We will pray with you. We will call you. We will follow up with you. Today, you may realize that the trials that you faced, yeah, they may not come to an end. They might still be hard. But you may, you may at least know the one who promises to carry you through each of them. Taste and see that he's good. Let me ask this for those who have been redeemed. Do you fear the Lord? Do we fear the Lord, church? Are you so overjoyed and humbled by his love, his grace, his kindness, his mercy, that you're walking in the fear of him? Or would we just say, no, but I'm enjoying the benefits of salvation. I want to challenge you to not just do the latter. I want to challenge us all to walk in the fear of the Lord. Seeking to make much of his name and to glorify him with our lives. Just a moment, I'm going to pray for us. The worship team will come up at the end of that prayer and we're going to have a time of singing this last song, The Goodness of God. As I was going through this passage and preparing, I texted Debbie and I said, please do goodness of God. Because this song, it just, it just hits. All my life, you've been faithful. He's always been faithful. He will always be faithful. During that singing, if you need prayer, I'm available to you. I'll be right up here at the front. Just because I turn my back and I'm singing the songs of praise to you, you are invited to come up and pray with me. Or if you want to talk about salvation, any of that, I will gladly do that with you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we are humbled, Lord, that we are your people. We're humbled, Lord, that we can gather to magnify the Lord together. That we can exalt the name of the Lord together. That we can bless the Lord. a gift we have. And it's only made possible through Jesus. We're so thankful, Jesus, for what you've done for us. We're so thankful, Holy Spirit, that you indwell us and you guide us that you are the helper that Jesus promised during his earthly ministry.
Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray over our people now or wherever they may be, whatever struggle they may see that they're in in the, in the, in the dead center of it, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that they would magnify you, that they would bless you, that they would be encouraged by being together with the body. Lord, I pray, God, that you be glorified during this time. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.